much horror business driving late at night. Psycho 78, 12 o'clock, don't be late. Greetings, My name is Justin Lohr. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 61 of Horror Business. And today, we are going to be talking about a few movies, too, to be exact, involving LGBTQ characters. And to help us with that, we are joined by noted cinephile, fellow cinepunk, and all-around fun person, um, Adriana Gobey. <laughs> sure. Gaber. Gaber. That sounds more French. Gaber. Does it? <laughs> We're joined by Adriana, which is a, this Hi, episode Adriana. is a long time coming. Thank you for joining us, Adriana. Yeah, this is your first Thanks time. Thanks for having me. This is your first time on The Biz, but you're a long time Cinepunk. Yes. We are going to be talking today about 2000, oh Jesus, no, I'm sorry, 1980s classic leather film, leather slasher movie, Al Pacino and Joe Spinell vehicle, <laughs> Cruising. And 2018s? It's hard to say. Neon-soaked, neo-noir mindfuck. Knife and heart. Knife plus heart. What's the actual title in French? French? Uh, a, a knife for the heart or something? No, no, like no, no, no. In French. Oh, I don't know. I was it's like, un mandos, wee wee. No, god damn it. I don't know. I don't speak French. <laughs> I'm not. Un croissant. My middle name is not actually Pierre, contrary to popular belief. It's not? No, it's Philippe. Is your middle name Philippe? No, it's Philip. Oh, Jesus. I like uh, I like the the idea that this is a Joe Spinell vehicle. It is a Joe Every movie that Joe Spinell is in is a Joe Spinell vehicle. <laughs> I wish there were more vehicles for Joe Spinell. So do I. I wish Joe Spinell was still alive and Max Landis was dead or had just never been born. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I, uh, it's weird to be both scandalized by something and then be in full agreement. I'm like, wow, I can't believe you said that, but you're right. Yeah. John Landis killed a man and got away with it. I, I, I cannot say that enough. <laughs> a man and two children. Two children. And then he uh, and then he showed up at a funeral he wasn't invited to and gave a eulogy he wasn't welcome to give. And then he made American War from London. So look the other way. <laughs> sorry, I'm getting mixed signals here. Sorry, from you, sorry, Justin. Vic Morrow. I, you're great, but American War from London is better than anything you did. This, this, is, epi- we've alienated this episode everyone. is pro- oh all f- all the Vic Morrow fans are, gonna, <laughs> are now furiously snapping off their 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 their, their phones in, while in traffic. I like that they're snapping the they're You had to so you angry. had to go for a dial motion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Before we go any further, let us establish who this episode's brought to you by. This episode's brought to you by you as Patreon subscribers. You go to W Patreon Cinepunks. You can just give whatever you want. There's a stack of DVDs. I can if I crane my neck just a bit, I can see a stack of DVDs on Liam's coffee table that if you subscribe to our Patreon and you're like, here's your Patreon money, we'll give you child eater. The first person to get at me on any social media gets a copy of Child Eater. I just, I just feel like, um, I just feel like advertising to people a stack of movies that you gave to me because they were too bad for you to finish watching. <laughs> that I gave you this stack and said, "Watch these movies and write some reviews." And you wrote two reviews yeah. and were like, "The rest of these are." 
I cannot possibly watch. Them. Look, man, I know that like one is a coincidence. No, I know that one is one is an anom- one is an anomaly. Two is a coincidence. Three establishes a causal relationship. I these movies were so bad, I was willing to stop it too and be like, you know what? I'm gonna throw away my formal education training in philosophy and critical thinking and say all of these movies are bad. I mean, I can't argue with you. Did you and, see Child Eater? And if you sign up on Patreon, one of these terrible movies could be yours. You may also get. Um, I don't even know what the other name of the other movie was, and I wrote a review for it. I know it's some alien thing. Alien bullshit, we'll call it. <laughs> alien bullshit in the desert. It, just go to Patreon, and if you like what you're hearing, you can sign up there. This episode is also brought to you by the greatest fans of the sport of kings. That's good. I like that. That's out there. Not only the greatest fan of the sport of kings, but the finest apparel company and screen printing company in the greater Lehigh Valley Valley area. And I'll go ahead and say in the Northeast. I'm talking about Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations who took their name from a song by the band Robot Attack from the early 2000s in Allentown. I don't know if that's true. Is that true? Well, LVAC was Lehigh Valley Activities crew. Robot Attack had a song called LVAC. Anything that makes Chris Regis look bad or dumb, I support. So yes, it's true. Even if it's not true, it's still true. We appreciate that. Now, if I say to you, Adriana, I want to get a t-shirt made because I love Bruce LaBruce so much. I want to get a t-shirt made that just says PA Zombie that has my head in like the Dawn of the Dead thing, similar to what we got for our business, but like kind of gay somehow, where would you send me? Well, Justin, I think I would send you to We Have Valley Apparel Creations. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Vocal the, allies. Vocal allies. That is actually very true. I'll go, I'll go as far and say that Chris Reject is an outspoken ally to an abrasive degree. Because he wants us to all be better people, yeah. and if we can't live up to that, he's maddening to be around. And I love him for it, and I'm not kidding right now. But he, abrasive in a good way. That's abrasive in uplifting yes. queer voices and yes. not trying to overtake them with his own. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's definitely not about, like, people don't... If you've purchased a gloss shirt or a hair shirt over the internet, you've probably purchased it from Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Yeah. Yep. I, I've been in that room where they keep those shirts. But he doesn't make this about his company. It's about how does he help these bands get their merch out yes. there. Yes. Also, Iron Sheik, but who cares about that? Come on. Me? I like uh, Iron Sheik. Do you like Iron Sheik? Yo. Is this so a real question? Right now. Why? I'm just kidding. I, I'm totally kidding. Are they Am I can- about to witness a murder? Are they canceled? Did they do something no, bad? No, okay. no, no, no. Nothing okay. like that. It's more like that's a band that Josh loves that I make fun of a lot. So now that you like them too, that means two co-hosts I can mock for liking Iron Sheik. Yo, Iron Sheik... Uh, can I still does that shit slap is do the kids still say that I don't know what the slaps kids... and fucks slaps and fucks it slaps and fucks it's a true ass beater it's yo Iron Sheik and I'm gonna fucking show my cool guy points the Ladderman that was what's up I do like Ladderman actually. yeah so why uh, do you not like Iron Sheik I'm just not a big fan of that it's just not my thing it's it's literally the same band <laughs> it's fine Ugh, okay anyway <laughs> If, just make it so easy. If anything that. that we've said, for whatever reason, makes you curious, if you have your Joe Spinell fan club shirt that you want to get made, if you actually do want to get your L.A. Zombie Bruce LaBruce shirt made, 
It's a tank top. It's in neon colors. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your fucking skull right now. You can go to www.xlvacx.com. That is www.xlvacx.com. Or you can go to that website and then you can go there in person to harass Chris Reject into a froth of frustration and, and to help your design. I highly recommend you just stop by the office. Probably like around lunchtime. That's yes. the ideal time for yes. you to just come by and say, I need to talk to Chris Reject. He would love... That's the perfect yes. thing for you to do. Don't even email. Don't even think no. about emailing. Don't give him a chance to prepare at all. Just <laughs> show up and just fucking frazzle the shit out of him. Shake him, too. Just physically shake him. All right. I'm done harassing Chris Reject. For now. For now. Until I see him on Friday, in which case I will threaten him physically and best him in physical combat because he, unlike me and Liam and Brad Hogarth, is a poser who enjoys alcohols and weeds. He's not straight edge. He's a fucking poser. Those X's don't mean shit. I'm on to you. <laughs> I like the idea of saying I'm on to you when you've made this point every episode of this podcast. To his face <laughs> numerous times as well. Yes. I've, thrown, I've knocked food out of his hand in anger for no real reason. Okay. <laughs> Now that I'm done venting my spleen because a person cut me off at Sam's Club earlier and I'm just, I don't deal with anger very good at all. Now comes the time in the show where normally I would ask Liam, I would ask him this fucking burning question that just is in my, my, the heart of my very being. Instead, I will ask our treasured guest, Adriana. Adriana, what have you done recently that involves horror? Well, um, I tabled at an event called the Horror Sideshow Market in yes, Allentown. Which was a, a horror themed flea market that was organized by the same people who do New Jersey HorrorCon. And uh, it was a really good time. It was very well organized. And the, the turnout was pretty good, um, especially on Saturday. It was a little bit slower mm. uh, on Sunday. Just that's how those sorts of events typically go. But um, I had a really fun time and I saw you. I was there, yes. With your fam. Mm-hmm. I took my niece and my mom and my. My niece's one cool friend came along with us, Yvonne. Tell me about what was there. What is at a horror marketplace? I mean, I don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that because I doubted or anything. I was ready to vend there. If I had been in the area, I was going to like set up and sell stuff. But I was thinking, I have no idea who else, who else is at this thing. Is it people selling personal stuff? Is it businesses? Is it artists? What's 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 the vibe like? A lot of it was 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 t-shirts and artists sure. and people selling comics. Um, there were. There was some talent there. Um, yeah, Tony Moran was there. Um, Brian O'Halloran. Brian O'Halloran. Uh, the Amazing Kreskin was there. My mom was like blown away by that. Uh, I love that. Who Who else was there? It was um, Will Therese, who is a comic book artist who yes. draws The Walking Dead and a whole bunch of other stuff. Does he draw The Walking Dead? Yeah, or at least covers for The Walking okay, yeah, Dead. Okay, yeah, yeah, because I feel like the interiors has been the same dude it's forever. Been Charlie Adler. No, not Charlie Adler. Charlie Adler is the fucking voice of Starscream. Um, <laughs> what's his name? I have a collection. People of... get them confused all yeah, the time. Yeah, all the time. Uh, <laughs> it's I have like, a... uh, you know, uh, the guy. It's like Frank Welkner and Stan Lee. You know, Frank Welkner did Spider-Man and Stan Lee did the voice of uh, fucking everybody. No, I have I have a collection of his work at, at you know, at, in my, my room that I look at sometimes. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm sorry, Adriana. <laughs> There's like some talent. Is it Tony Moore? A lot of serial killer merch. A lot of serial killer merch. Too much. I'm going to go ahead and say too much. Yeah. Too much serial, I, serial I killer merch. I would go so far as to say that any serial yes. killer merch is too much yes. serial killer I, merch. I'm going to go ahead and push back at you if the year is 1999 
then there is actually a good amount of serial killer merch <laughs> that you could move. But I just think in 2019, if you're taking, let's say, the temperature of the room, the room being society, the entire planet at this point, yeah. but especially the United States of America, I'm just not really getting a whole serial killers are sexy vibe The anymore. only acceptable serial killer merch that you can wear... Okay. This, this is my official. This is my. I will go on record. The only thing you can wear, and it's like okay, is the burn Bundy burn shirt. Oh, that sure, I sure, bought sure, at sure, New sure. Jersey Harcon. That's sure. the only one you can wear. I forgot that you bought that. Oh yeah, I wore it to L.A. Walk through, walk through customs or not customs, the TSA with that. Um, uh, I agree with you. I will say, uh, what's the name of the guy who shot people from his car in the D.C. area? The D.C. shooter, J- John Muhammad. I think that's right. Yeah. I saw a picture. So he was like a former uh, police officer, right? No, he was a Marine. Marine. Yeah, Marine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, I saw someone had a picture of him, had a shirt that was a picture of him prior to that where he looked very official. Yeah. And it was like uh, a true patriot or something like that. And it was oh. such a deep cut that I was like, you are an edgelord, but you're an edgelord Ooh. with a sense of humor yeah. and I'm into it. I'm sure someone's offended by that, but I don't care. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I don't own that shirt because I would never. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, man, who gets that? Like, it's like such like a obscure reference. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, that's pretty good. It is pretty good. Someone's going to beat you up, though. Anything else, Adriana? Nothing else. Nothing. Well, I can't judge. Go ahead and ask me. Ask me. If I... What have you done recently that's involved Oh, uh, pretty much nothing. We did, uh, you know, we talked on last episode about the zombie fest, which was great. And then since then, I just haven't been able to get out. Too much horror stuff. I did see that movie, um, Booksmart, which is not horror, but I very yes. much love it. And I got to see with Josh uh, advanced screening of The Last Black Man in San Francisco, mm. which... Um, I'm very jealous. I mean, I will say, if you're the uh, victim of gentrification, Last Black Man in San Francisco might be a bit of a horror movie. <laughs> but uh, as far as strict definition of the genre, no. The only thing I've done really that was horror-related that wasn't for this podcast was uh, I attempted to get through the new Puppet Master film. Mm. Now, I went in ready to be offended, because what I had heard was that this was a either offensive piece of trash or a wicked good... It's a wicked good time. I keep seeing people put that. It's no. a wicked good time. Oh, man, it's so nasty, but it's like a wicked good time. And, like, um, you know, I sometimes like things that are fun, and I sometimes like things that are dumb fun. Yes. But I don't often like things that are just dumb and not fun. And for me, this wasn't fun. I get why someone might think it was fun. There's certainly a explosion of gore hmm. uh, perpetrated by puppets. So I guess that's inherently funny. But uh, if you take away just the idea that this gore is being perpetrated by puppets... Nothing else in the movie is really that funny to me or really that like fun and like, whoa, that's so crazy. Yeah. So uh, I really just had to like be involved in it. And um, uh, I guess puppets are scary. They can be scary. Here, here's, but this just isn't scary. Here's my question for you. I didn't see this movie. I won't sure. see this movie. Sure. But I will cast judgment upon this movie based on next to no knowledge. <laughs> all, it, it all goes in just one question. Were the puppets the good guys or the bad guys in this movie? I mean, they're they're definitely the bad guys. Fuck them. Fuck this movie. I mean, that's the whole thing. The whole thing is, uh, let's change it so that the puppets are Nazis. And so, basically, there there's an uh, there's an event in the past in which 
the puppets are enacting bloody murder, and then everything gets foiled by whoever is manipulating puppets, and then that that goes down in this local history as like the blah 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 massacre, and so because of that historical event, people now collect the puppets because you know of course the you know the greater world doesn't know it was the puppets they think it was the guy who killed all these people so that guy's a serial killer basically mm. Andre Tulan yeah so the idea like oh you know the Tulan estate and we all collect these puppets and so there's this like convention in the town where they're like all these collectors of the puppets are like I'm gonna go then I can sell my fucking puppet and catch cash in on these puppets so then everyone's in town and all the puppets are there and all the puppets wake up and start and so it's like uh, it's like people reaching out to the police, someone stole my puppet, meanwhile the puppet's murdering people, whatever, but the puppets are particularly not stoked on like, I mean, at first, the puppets are not stoked on the things that Tulan is not stoked on, which is like, LGBTQ people, Mm. people who aren't white, like, he's a Nazi, you know what I mean? By the time I was like, getting bored with the movie, it wasn't even that edgy anymore, it was just the puppets were just killing anyone they could find or whatever, which is like, less offensive, but also the movie itself just wasn't pulling me in. So I'll probably still finish it. Like I don't want to make it like, I'll be like, it's so terrible. I just gave up. But I really wanted to like be into it. Like I was committed to finishing it because I just, I want to know so many people I know like it. I was like, okay, I'll give it a chance. And you know, it's so boring. I just found it boring. Wasn't Barbara Crampton in that? Yes. yes. And Thomas Lennon. Tom Lennon's like one of the main characters. So something. He's not charming at all, by the way. Something you guys might not know about me is that uh, one of the first horror franchises I became full-blown obsessed over as a kid is, is Puppet Master. Yeah, you told me that. And it is deeply upsetting to me that these puppets that were created by a Jew who was persecuted under the Third Reich are now Nazis committing hate crimes in this movie. So yeah, it, it, it doesn't exactly make me, it doesn't exactly motivate right. me to watch it. But you know, I I try to keep an open mind about these things. But you're they just they just rewrite the character to be like, oh, rather than him being this Jewish. So Tulan was Tulan was Jewish in the original. If yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah, this, and in Puppet yeah. Master Three, which I believe was directed by David Dakota, uh, <laughs> he he is a Jew, and they fight Nazis. Yeah, that's the one I remember seeing when I because I remember when I was a little kid. I'd see the boxes and I'd be like, oh, they're scary. Then I watch them like, oh, they're fighting. They're in, good guys. In this one, it's like he's working for the Nazis. Then when the Nazis are clearly going to lose, he just switches sides and the Americans are like, sure, whatever. And then he's like this like American sort of like rich, privileged guy. Oh, so they're drawing from history, basically. Yeah, he's basically like a stand-in for He's the Walter Nazi. Frey of yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, of the, yeah, yeah, of the yeah. Walter Frey. It, he is. No, I know, but... <laughs> Rather than go with Nazi scientists. I was going to say, so he's the country of Italy in every war ever, but you know. Oh my God. The point is, is that it's not as much fun as I would like it to be. And it's a shame because it actually, and it's not just Thomas Lennon or Barbara Crampton, even the bit roles, there's lots of recognizable, interesting people, some of which I really love. Udo Kier. Udo Kier is in it. Oh shit. Um, he plays two on. Yeah. Oh, um, that's actually kind of fucking perfect um there's a there's a never mind i'm not going to make this reference because i don't remember her name and it's a bummer okay there's someone i really like in it because she does a voice role linda hamilton no she does a voice role in we bear bears uh there's a there's an actress who she's in that movie paper heart with um michael Sarah, and she's in the new movie um 
um, Always Be My Maybe. And she's a voice on We Bear Bears, and I always forget her name. So big apologies, and I don't have my phone or I look it up. But she's in this ev- very briefly, but I think she's great. And so like just seeing her in it, I was like, no, please don't be in this movie. <laughs> I wish you weren't in this really bad movie. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I, fingers crossed. I know I shouldn't be reviewing a movie I haven't finished, but fingers crossed that there'll be something so amazing in the end that I decide I was wrong. Not, not I'll come happen. back and I'll apologize. Not going to happen. No, it's probably not going to happen. Not going to happen by a fucking sight. All right. Okay. Hey, Justin. What's up? What have you done that's horror-related Absolutely nothing. I went to see Adriana at the horror flea market, and I bought a Cthulhu doll. Um... I took my niece to see Jurassic Park at the Mahoney Drive-In. Okay, that's cool. We had fun. I'll go to my grave saying Jurassic Park is a horror movie. And that's about it. I do want to mention real quick that the trailer for Dr. Sleep dropped recently. I forgot about that. I'm glad you brought it up. Got a few things to say about that. Of course you do. Of course I do. I wouldn't be Justin Pierre Lore if I didn't have a a lot to say about a Stephen King adaption. Justin Pierre Lore. I think it's kind of weird how they've been advertising it that it's not a sequel to the Kubrick film. It's a sequel to the book, The Shining. But when you watch the trailer, it's 125% a sequel to the fucking Kubrick movie. They recreated scenes from the movie. Which I'm all for, because it looks like they did an amazing job. Um, But they're leaning really heavily into this movie being, it's a sequel to the greatest horror film of all time. I mean, the second, or, you know, whatever. It's not, it's a sequel to The Shining. And that kind of sort of worries me because uh, I like The Shining, but as I've said too many times, it's a terrible adaption of a great book. And I think a lot of what makes Dr. Sleep great is not the, not the, person, not the character of Jack Torrance that's in Kubrick's film, but the character of Jack Torrance that's only in Stephen King's book. And I don't understand how they're going to reconcile who the main character of Dr. Sleep is, Daniel Torrance, how they're going to reconcile that with the Jack Nicholson character from The Shining. It just, I just, I don't know. Like Mike, uh, Mike Flanagan is an amazing director. I have faith in him. I'm sure it'll be terrifying. It just sort of has me a little, I don't know, like not worried. I think that's interesting that that's your worry because... That comes from your appreciation of the book. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't like the book, so they're just trusting him to do whatever. Well, it also says to me that because they're leaning so heavily into the Kubrick imagery, it also says to me that that they don't trust them they don't trust this movie enough to stand on its own. It's possible. You know, and I, I, I think that's kinda whack because I, I think with, you know, the haunting of Hill House and before I wake and fucking absentia, Mike Flanagan has proven that he can make spooky things, like very effective spooky things. But I can't, I can't fault them for that because when you compare just like uh, in current memory, yeah, people remember the movie more than the book. Absolutely, yeah. So if the if the trailer made explicit references to the book. That wouldn't have the same mental resonance, whereas just the few little bits they show that were from the movie, well, people the, were like, "I know what this is." The only thing that really, the, I'll be honest, the only shot that really got me that I was really like, uh, was the famous of him looking through the door that Jack Nicholson hacks away. 
because that's that's that is entirely Kubrick. That part isn't in the book. That 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 line is never uttered in the book. I would have been okay if it, if it was just, you know, the red rum, and it was just right. the woman in the bathtub, and it was right. just the iconic carpet. That would have been fine because you could argue this. Sure, that's all part of like that's in Stephen King's book. But the thing that they the money shot, if you will, is one hundred percent Kubrick, and that's the part where I'm sort of. Again, not worried because I trust Mike Flanagan with my heart, but it makes me go, hmm, just a little bit, just, hmm. I'm still going to go see it like four times probably. I mean, I definitely want to see it. Because I love everyone in that movie. I love all of Mike Flanagan's regulars. I have an unrequited crush on Katie Parker. I think she's great. I don't know why I'm whispering. It's not like she's in the next room. I like that you specified it was unrequited. Like, you, <laughs> like, like you know her. <laughs> Like, I sent her my letters. And she says, you're just a good friend. Yeah. I'm just, oh, shucks. She'll see me. She'll see me the way I see her one day, only if I try hard enough. I'm excited to see it as well, even though I haven't read the book. I'm kind of wondering, do I need to read the book before? Yes. Okay. The book is, well, no, as a father, you know what? Don't read the book. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and say, don't read the book. Uh, I also want to say, I am insanely jealous of everyone who saw Midsummer last night. Me too. I'm so stoked on it. I am, and I am not. I am a Schrodinger's cat box right now of mixed emotions why because you remember how hard i took hereditary yeah that's true and how fucking insane the strange thing about the johnsons is and now people are saying like people like man this movie's fucked up and i'm like oh really this is fucked up because hereditary was a walk in the park and i've been reading a lot that is the spiritual successor uh i believe that my my seatmate my friend phil nobile said this is a spiritual successor to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I saw that too. I don't know how much that is just pure hyperbole or not, but then again it is Phil. I kind of trust Phil. I know I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's a that, there if there is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre the first one makes me so upset that I can watch it like once a year. And it I don't know just it's it's Ari Aster is like a fucked up person. He's crazy. I don't mean like he's twisted like Rob Zombie's twisted. I mean oh, like he's such a sick fuck. There is something legitimately wrong with Ari Aster. I don't. So this is my my weird thing is that like I'm on Twitter and people are like, you know, Ari Aster is the second coming and he will save us all. And then I'm on Facebook and people are like, this fucking guy. Who cares about this fucking movie? This guy sucks. And I'm like, uh, I, it's so weird that I I I, I love Hereditary. I don't love it so much that I'm like anything this guy does is magic. I'm just I'm gonna wait and see. No, no, what he's happens. made one movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it just I don't know, man. It's just uh, like you don't see much in Hereditary, and I still walked out of there like I need to take a Xanax an hour ago, <laughs> and I watched five minutes of The Strangest Thing with the Johnsons and was like, eh, I just. Uh, you ever, you ever see that? You've seen it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people haven't. Yes. I was telling my coworker about it. I was like, don't Google it. Just go watch it. And then, I'm sorry. You can punch <laughs> me in the mouth for yeah. what I've introduced to your life. And then apologies. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, as uh, you already said, we're covering two very intense, sexual, beautiful movies. Yes. Just horny movies in some ways and then upsetting at the same time 
Yes. <laughs> uh, and they were both uh, first-time watches for you, right? So I'm excited. I think I saw Cruising when I was younger. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's like one of those things where I was like, I know I saw this movie. And then when I was watching it, I was like, I remember this part. I remember like certain bits seem familiar. Sure. But I don't, I couldn't act like I could tell you where I was the first time I saw like the thing. I could tell you the fir- first place I was when I saw like the Terminator. I know I saw those movies. Cruising, it was like, maybe I saw like bits and pieces of this. Right. I don't know. Well, when we come back, we're going to take a break. We're going to take a a quick break. So while we're taking a break, put on your leather chaps and turn up the Scat Brothers. Because when we come back, we're going to be talking about 1980s cruising. We'll be right back. How would you like to disappear? disappear go undercover you know this man who's here i'm here you're here these victims are all the same physical type what about him skip late 20s 140 150 pounds dark hair dark eyes have you ever seen him before i want to send you out there to see if you can attract this guy how where a New York City detective in search of a killer is about to disappear into the night. Is it dangerous? I can't talk about it. How do you know you're going to end up the same person when it's over? Odyssey to the edge of city life. Bartenders are starting to give me some information. There's this uh, name keeps popping up all the time. There he is. The one with the hat. Is that the one that followed you? Yeah. Why didn't you go with him? I don't know. I think you should check him. What he sees. Who's here? What he feels. I don't think I can do the job, Captain. I don't think I can handle it. I'm here. There's just stuff going down. I don't think I can. Uh, I can deal with it. experiences. What he discovers will change his life forever. Al Pacino. Cruising.
And we are back to talk about 1980s erotic crime thriller film, Cruising, directed by William Friedkin, starring Al Pacino, Paul Sorvino, and Karen Allen, and also Joe Spinell. Don't do that voice. I'm sorry. Um, Al Pacino's been in a few movies. Yeah, Dog Day Afternoon and what? Uh, Scarface? Devil's Advocate. (laughs) Sure, sure, Devil's Advocate. Paul Sorvino was in The Stuff. Oh, very true. Karen? Very good good pick, by the yeah, way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Joe Spinell was in... A few things. Taxi Driver? Rocky. Rocky, right. Also in The Stuff. No, I made that up. Uh, <laughs> uh, Joe... I, do you think there are people right now yelling at their podcasts who don't realize no. that we're fucking around? No, I hope I not. want there to be. I want there to be someone going, Joe Spinell was in Mania, you fucking shitbags. Yeah, we know. We don't give a fuck, okay? I mean, I kind of do. I like. I do too. It's, it's not good. What else was Karen? Let me see what Karen Allen was in. Indiana Jones. She was also in Animal House. Jesus Christ, I'm an idiot. Look, I don't watch movies, so I'm allow me to be. F- she was in Starman. William Friedkin. He directed this. I don't think he just, he's directed anything else. Um, <laughs> no other horror movie, anyway. Certainly not. Yeah, he did uh, Chinatown. No, I think he did French Connection too. French Connection too, <laughs> and he did. Uh, what's that Joe movie where uh, uh, McConaughey forces someone to suck his chicken wing? It's Gina Gershon, and the movie is called Killer Joe. Killer Joe. Killer Joe. Joe's Apartment. The movie with uh, about the co- talking cockroaches. William Friedkin also directed that. <laughs> anyway, so let's talk about Cruising. Cruising is a film that is about. Uh, takes place in late 70s, early 80s New York City, which is the best time to be in New York City. Um, and there is a serial killer who is targeting, targeting young gay men, uh, particularly those associated with the leather scene. Again, my favorite scene. Pleather. Vegan leather. Oh, yeah, you're vegan. Right, vegan right, leather, right, yeah, right. vegan leather. Thank no, you. Nothing against anything else associated yeah, with it. When I, look, when I look at a Tom of Finland drawing, I'm like, ugh, leather. But if, if someone's like, you know, the vegan leather, I'd be like, I'm going to frame that on my wall. Thank you. You can <laughs> still get kinky with pleather, I think, probably. You can. There's a whole thing to it. Why would I? In fact, I would suggest it's probably easier to clean I have, than actual leather. I, I am friends with a dominatrix who was vegan, so you are too. You know her. Oh, I know. Yeah. Wink. <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely unintentionally saw a video of her punching old men in the balls. Uh, she came to my house for dinner and was charmed by my grandfather. <laughs> Nothing happened. Uh, <laughs> so there's this fucking serial killer who's out there doing horrible shit, killing these 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 handsome young men in the prime of their lives. And Paul, Paul Servino's just fucking had enough. So he's like, hey... Uh, Hey, you, uh, hey, Burns, Burnsy, you got to get out there. You got to find this guy and stop him from killing people. He's killing too many people. So Al Pacino is Officer Steve Burns. He goes to these bars like the Eagle's Nest, the Ramrod, and the Cockpit. Um, and he goes undercover to find this guy who's killing these young men. And it is a deep dive, a spiral, if you will, into the gay S&M scene of New York City of the late 70s, which, watching this movie now in 2019, you're like, yeah, big fucking deal. Can you fucking imagine middle America in 1980 seeing this movie? I don't know that they did. That's what I'm, like, I'm just saying. Like This movie, put it in the proper context, this might pound for pound be the most shocking movie ever made. 
within the context in which it was made, mm-hmm. it's very possible that for a lot of people they saw this movie, which to be to be fair with y'all, is highly edited. Like that there was a cut originally of this movie that had a lot more in it. And this movie has a fisting scene. I was just about to bring up the fisting scene. It has scene. a fisting and again, it's twenty nineteen. If you haven't seen fisting, you haven't been on the internet. Yeah. Like I just feel like does anyone remember Tumblr? Every other day there'd be a yeah. fisting something on Tumblr, to, just on your anime blog. Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like it, it's we're 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 pretty far beyond shocked at this point. But watching this, trying to imagine in nineteen eighty, someone being like, eh, "This is a new uh, freaking film." You know, I liked The Exorcist. Yeah. It was shocking. Maybe this will be a little shocking I took too. My, I took my best gal to the cinema to see The Exorcist, and then you go and see this fucking movie. Can you imagine Joe somebody, possibly Joe Spinell himself, who didn't remember making this movie? <laughs> Taking his, like... I imagine Joe Spinell would have been not shocked. I was just way, about to form. say the same thing. I think Joe Spinell would have been like, I don't know, I went through that new one that I'm in. It's kind of boring. Yeah, hey, uh, Grease, hey, you there, Grease up your form. I'm trying to ride the Tower of Power. Joe, get off set. Your scenes are done. <laughs> You're imagining that he just was hanging out, much like the Ninth Configuration. He just was on set, and Look, they just man, put him in the movie. We were all there when we saw at the Maniac Cop screening. Oh yeah, right, right. right. When they told the story about Joe Spinell, like doing blow and then wandering around Times Square in the middle of the night with an eight millimeter camera, and just like, hey, 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 I, I made this movie. Put it in the movie, and they were like, okay, Joe, fucking calm down. It's in the movie now. It's fine. So uh, uh, Joe Spinell, may he rest in peace. Everything that we say he does. He does. Because even if it didn't happen, it still happened. That's how crazy Joe Spinell is. So, Cruising is, uh, on one hand, a, uh, you know, it's a it's a procedural thriller. Yes. It's a, it's a cop trying to find a killer. But as things move forward, a, a number of things start to happen, which is, one, um, Al Pacino's character is more and more unsure of who he is and yes. what's going on. Um, two, when he discovers the killer, or at least who were presented as the killer, um, it's a bit of a surprise. And the way that he sort of uh, keeps tabs on this person starts to become like he is the scary stalker guy. It's a little weird. He's kind of hunting this young man who, again, might be a murderer. So I get it, but it's it's it starts to blur lines. And then, um, again, spoiler: this movie's quite old so sorry uh the ending it either is ambiguous or not ambiguous depending on how ready you are to believe there's something more going on i think if you think this movie is a straightforward narrative then the ending suddenly complicates things for you yeah if you were the whole time going i don't fucking trust that guy and i think that guy might be the bad guy the whole time then the ending is like i told you there was something going on with that guy Mm -hmm. um I would suggest when we get uh, our friend, when we get Karen Allen putting on, trying on the old outfit that that our man has there, there's almost a suggestion of like that there's something, there's something unseemly underneath every, you know what I mean? Like she's presented to us as the only character in the film that isn't in some way attached to something that makes us uncomfortable. So Well, she's also extremely underwritten. Yes. She doesn't really exist in the movie in a way, but yeah. she sort of but I feel like that's the function she serves because sure. the movie starts to suggest that maybe she's his beard? 
you know, like that maybe he's living a lie and she's part of that lie and that this assignment is uncomfortable because there's something going on here. But what I think is so funny is that it's easy, at least for me as a viewer, it's easy for me as a, uh, you know, cis hat man yes. to think the lie he's living is about his sexuality. And then the movie's like, or he's a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's not gay at all. Maybe this isn't a movie about him being corrupted and turned gay. Maybe he's a killer. And that's what this whole thing's been about. But you certainly didn't read it that way, did you? Het man. Yeah. And I'm like, you're right, I didn't. I I was like, man, what's going on with him in these sex scenes? He's working something out. And I'm thinking, what he's working out is that he's figuring out he likes the dudes. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it's like, or that he likes to murder people. Wow, good job, Liam. Yeah. I thought <laughs> on, you were on, woke. On second viewing, the idea that he is, that there's more murders going on here than we're seeing, and that there, there's maybe a suggestion that he is a more different. That was all really clear on this viewing that me and you had, the second viewing. Let, let My me... first viewing, none of that was obvious. I was just like, oh, that was weird. It was a weird movie. I really liked it, but I, I don't get it. Let me just say that <clears throat> even watching this movie for the first time, I think, the first indication we have that there's a serial killer is that we find body parts in the Hudson. Just chopped right. up a body and threw it in there. In a part in that that whole sequence by the way, I was it felt very fulchy to me, but go ahead. It did, yeah. Uh but then the first victim they find is a guy who's just dead. He's not chopped up chopped up at all. That's what I'm saying. So it's like there's not to be all like hoity toity like oh, I know my serial killers, but like you know like Dahmer didn't like chop just one guy up and then be like, ah, just leave another guy. You know, they tend like, so that right there was like, there might be more than one person doing this. Yeah. I mean, we're talking a lot. We should throw it to Adriana. I agree. But I do want to suggest this is something we were talking about off mic a little bit, but I think we should bring it on here, which is that I think some of the early negative response. So we were saying one thing to say, if if for a reason you listen to this and you haven't seen the movie, it is a little bit choppy. The movie went through a lot of edits and so at times it feels a little bit choppy, a little bit less smooth. I think for my viewing experience, and I think this is probably true for both of y'all, that actually enhances the narrative. I think it actually does better that way. But I think because of that, a lot of critics saw these things that we're talking about. We start off with these body parts, and then by the end of the movie, it's not clear what the body parts have to do with a sexy grad student who's the killer. They don't seem related at all. And so I think a lot of critics thought, Huh, movie sucks. They weren't ready for it. They weren't ready for it. I don't know if that's true. But it is true that they, they read that as a mistake instead of letting it complicate the narrative. And I think what we're sort of saying is that the narrative is purposefully uh, ambiguous, that yes. you're supposed to go, it's weird. It doesn't seem like those body parts have anything to do with, you know, uh, working out in jeans guy. Who, by the way, if I see anyone doing exercises in jeans, I go, that guy has hurt someone. It makes my, <laughs> makes my stomach turn even thinking about it. <laughs> um, Adriana, we're talking too much. Cruising. You you said to me, he's definitely the killer. Or a killer. Did I? Is that, is that what I said? Beforehand, you were like, oh, the ending is... No, not. I said that I think the film strongly implies that he sure, is sure, a sure. killer. Of some kind. Right. Do you think he's the random floating body parts that no because from what we see i don't think that really makes sense yeah i i don't know i the whole thing just is i think it's purposefully ambiguous but yeah and that and that creates a really interesting tension that uh, it carries throughout the film um when did you first 
when did you first see this this movie? I feel like uh, so, Justin, you're, this is totally new to you. I saw this movie a few years ago because, for those of you who don't know, like I said, this movie was very edited, and uh, fucking James Franco made a movie. Oh God! <laughs> that was supposed to be the cut footage, and then that's not what it was at all. And so I went to a screening that was James Franco's movie after Cruising, and. Um, on paper, that's a combo that makes sense. In real life, you're just watching something really awesome and then something not so awesome afterwards. And that was uh, not so great. <laughs> but that was the first time I saw Cruising. I was just like, oh, I'll go check this thing out. And it was an interesting uh, way to watch the movie, especially because it was at the truck and the truck is notorious for having people there who laugh at inappropriate times. So that was not great. Which version of the film did you see? It was the one that we watched, which... Uh, was it Was it the 2007 Friedkenstein monstrosity? <laughs> oh, I don't know, actually. Talk about the different versions. Okay. I don't even know anything about that. Well, there's three versions that I know of, or I guess four if you count what Friedkin originally shot before he had to do a ridiculous amount of edits right, for right, the MPA. Right. Uh, but you have the original theatrical cut, which had that disclaimer in the beginning. Uh, I don't know if you guys know anything about that. What was the disclaimer? The disclaimer... it. it I don't remember what it says verbatim, but it's something to the effect of, you know, this film is not meant to represent the entire gay community. No shit. Yeah. Um, so there's that version. And then there is a slightly extended, like, CBS Fox video release. And then there's this, the 2007 re-release that where Friedkin uh, recolored it and, and added this weird blue tint. And a lot of like really bad digital effects, like Windows Movie Maker bad, um, which is the version that's on Am- of on Amazon Prime to rent. Is that the one we watched? I'm gonna guess it's the one that you watched. I don't, but I don't remember any digital effects. Really? Yeah, not nothing at all. Do you remember anything? No. Like the the no the version we watched was on Voodoo. Okay. Okay. And it was. Free with commercials, but we paid to watch it because I didn't want commercials. <laughs> I just okay, thought maybe was, you lucked out. I thought it was such a weird movie to be like, you can watch it for free with commercials. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I want while I'm watching yeah. Cruising. It's lots of ads. <laughs> <laughs> it's just weird. So no, I don't. I don't think ours had a blue tint or. But I now that you say that, I do wonder if the version I saw before had a bit of a blue tint, the one that I watched at the truck. I seem to remember it having a bit of a tint to it. Hmm. I don't know. It was probably that one then. Um, so, and then what's the other one? That was, I think you said two or three. I don't no, know. I covered them all. Okay, cool, cool, cool. You just didn't pay attention, obviously. No, I was. Damn. I was trying to figure out which Damn. one we watched. got oh dunked on. <laughs> Adrian was always dunking on me. Jeez. That's definitely not true. No. But um, but it's kind of true. I guess, I also think if we're going to discuss this film, it's important to discuss the notion of representation because that was such a a significant part of the backlash uh, that this film received even before it was made. So talk about the, so in case people don't know, um, this was insanely controversial. Uh, There were protests on set constantly. There were, not just protests in the sense of people holding hands, but they were active actions, like making noise during the filming. They so were deliberately impossible. interfering with filming so right. that they could sabotage the production, basically. Yeah. And that eventually wound... Friedkin wound up having to do a whole lot of overdubs on this film. 
Some of which are very awkward. It's in yeah. fact one of the few things that I find distracting in the movie is that I actually think some of the overdubs are bad. I think the ADR for the killer's voice in the opening scene really works. You liked it. I liked it. Okay. It is kind of unnerving. Exactly, because I because it was so obvious. It's like it Uncanny was, Valley. Yeah. It, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's exactly what because it's like you want to go back to my place and have a good time, and the guy's like, "Yeah, man, we could do." All right, I'll be right there. And it's so like, ooh, man. The other person's having a conversation. Yeah. And, but the person communicating with them is like, yeah, why don't you do that? It's like, <laughs> it's it's weird. Yeah, yeah, You yeah, like yeah. it rough? Okay, I'll give you rough. Like, it's, oh. Let's, okay, let's, let's talk about representation for a second, because I think, I, I, I think I'm, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. Most of the characters we see in this movie are all white dudes. Classically, they're like, they're, they're, they're cisgender. Except well, you're you're not wrong, but that is not what I was getting at at all. Oh, I'm sorry. What were we getting at? Well, um, if you think about the state <laughs> of uh, queer representation in television and films in the late 70s and early 80s, um, a lot of it was really, really bad. You okay. know, like stereotypes, the Nelly, the man-hating dyke. Um, usually if there was a, a gay or lesbian character in a film, or God forbid, a trans character... Um, their story usually ended in death or misery. Um, and so things seemed very high stakes for for, for queer folks at, okay. at that time as, as far as, you know, depictions of, of queer characters impacting their lives through how they are perceived by heterosexual people. Okay. And so when this film came out, there was a huge uproar um, by from gay activists because they thought that this film was stigmatizing the gay community and that it was representing them as filthy degenerates and that when straight people saw this movie they would take away all sorts of negative things about gay people and there's a lot to unpack with that because i don't necessarily think that's an unfair response or at the very least it's a response i understand although i don't agree with it but I also think there's an element of Puritanism there and about right. kink shaming. Yeah. And it became polarized at the time because um, uh, while there were these folks who were very upset and protesting, there were also lots of LGBTQ folks who were in the movie. Yeah. And many of them were acting in ways that they would have acted were the cameras not there. Yeah. And their feeling was that are these protests about the movie or are they about me? And they about right. how do I not represent the gay community in who I am as a person? I would say this is not that far an issue than um, you know different uh, you know uh, racialized communities have had about their depiction. People saying we're not all thugs, or you know we don't all act this way. And then the people for whom that is the reality saying, yeah, but I do, and do well, I not matter? Right. Like you know there are people who were involved in this movie. I mean, A, it was an opportunity for them to work, so don't take food out of people's mouths. But also, B, who maybe felt like, are you offended that this movie represents uh, something that for me is very real? That That is who I am. Well, right. I, I think it, it, it's also worth pointing out that the, the, the movie is based on a novel that specifically takes place in the gay leather scene yeah. of Greenwich Village. So it wasn't like they were like, we're going to make a movie about gay men. What do gay men do? Oh, they dress like bikers and they, you know what I mean? Like they specific, that, the, the, the Tom of Finland look was 
essential to this movie. It took it took place in that scene. It wasn't just they weren't just like it's at a gay bar, which is just a bar with with dudes there. And also, Friedkin took the time to get people from the community he was depicting yeah. involved yeah. with the yeah. film. Yeah, he 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 empowered them in that way. Um, but I don't know that all of his press moves were good. When he no. start, when he started to get pushback, he was like, "Look, I just wanted to make a murder movie. This is a context like any other." That's not what people want to hear from you, straight man. Like that's not actually. Yeah. I think for him that sounded very like chill, but. For other people, they were like, cool, so you're exploiting our community to make your scary movie. It's not really comforting, you know? And I don't think it represented the reality, which is that, you know, uh, uh, so I was reading about this. There's, there was a feature when they showed the movie again at the quad. There was a feature in the Village Voice, which was written by someone who likes the movie, who was like, well, my paper was leading the charge on trying to destroy this film. Um, but he pointed out another journalist at the time who's, who, who said there was something like 1,400 LGBTQ people who were employed by the film, mm-hmm. whether that was as extras or working on set or in other ways. And that he was like, you know, there should be accounting from these activists, not just of what they see as the potential negative impact. Film wasn't out yet, so you don't know if there is a negative impact. Uh, but also of the many people who are involved in the making of this thing. Um, and I'm not saying that justifies it. You know, uh, there could be easily a work of art that a lot of people put their heart, you know, blood, sweat, and tears into that the actual art is still bad and hurts people. That's it's that their work doesn't justify the thing, but that wasn't even a part of the estimation, especially since, again, these protests started long before anyone had seen the film. Now, are there parts of the film that people could say, like, ooh, that's rough. I don't know how I feel about that. Sure, sure, sure. But no one knew that yet. They yeah. couldn't go, yo, I saw fucking cruising and it's it's a real problem for us. They just go they just assumed it was going to be a problem. Yeah. And I just want to say I can understand how how some people might watch this film and think that uh this the scenes set in the clubs, which were real clubs, like the cockpit right, and the ramrod. Right. Um, I could see how someone can watch this and, and think those scenes are maybe um exaggerated or extreme for effect but i promise you that is really what it was like inside those clubs oh yeah no doubt that freaking is just depicting that community as it was and well that it you don't if your inclination is to say that this is supposed to be a holistic view of an entire uh population um which by the way defining a population purely by who they want to be involved with romantically is already problematic. Yeah, it's not a monolith. <laughs> yeah, th- so that's already a problem. But even then, I think he's assuming, rightly or wrongly, that people are going to figure out that this is about one specific scene and not about uh, all people who are attracted to whatever. Which and he... maybe that's a problem. Maybe he sh- maybe he's wrong. And I think that was what was motivating Yeah. But I do think... He's not. He's not making shit up. He's just showing right. you a thing that this, is real. This movie is such a perfect time capsule of a very specific period yeah. in New York City. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's a New York City that doesn't exist anymore. It's. Oh. I, I I do think it's a bit of a thermometer on on people though. Like, uh, you know, there are going to be folks watching it who are upset, regardless of their own identity, and part of their upsetness is going to be about how what is depicted makes them feel. Because you might be very much romantically, you very much might be a gay, uh, well, let's be clear that a lot, not all the characters are are cis, but a lot of the characters are cis. Yes. You could be a cis gay man watching this movie going, ew, because the sort of 
uh, sexuality being portrayed is not for you. If this had been a movie about straight fuck clubs, you know, straight people out clubs? in public doing well, yeah, yeah. But people, you know, straight clubs people, out, there could be people for whom it's upset. You know what I mean? Like the content of this thing is not justified by the uh, identified genders or gender non-binary of the people involved in these acts. Some people might just be upset because they're not into that. Period. That's yeah. not their sexuality. And I think it's worth naming that. But that concern became about a larger political issue. And and personally, I don't know that Freakin was the bad guy. Especially, you know, friend of the show, Grady Hendrix, wrote a thing that was like, I'm sure this seemed really important at the time, but within a few years, there was a massive plague the government was denying existed. That was a much bigger issue than this you know, frankly, movie that a lot of people didn't see. Yeah. Like, that's part of the thing is, like, we can speculate what middle America might have thought of this movie, but we can definitely say most of them didn't see it. A lot of people just didn't fucking see the movie. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it was really just a blip on the radar that passed. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a lot about the political and social impact of the film. I think the film is also really good. Like, I think part of my thing with, you know, watching this movie was not even about all that political stuff. Some of which I had heard about that this there was this controversial movie that Freakin had made. I didn't know the details, but I knew it was something that people didn't look to a lot when it came to like lifting up Freakin's career. Uh, but I'd also heard it was bad, and that was wrong. It's really. It's. A very I think good it's movie. really really good. Uh, for me, I'm actually uh, I'm impressed by a few things. Um, I am impressed by. Again, I guess we'll call him the killer, though the movie's not clear that he's the only killer. I liked that character. Like, I liked that actor. I liked his portrayal of that character. I liked the idea that um, this is a uh, a guy who has, like, personal pain that he's working out, but he's also still kind of privileged that he has a certain amount of, like, freedom in this world. Uh, I liked Pacino's performance. I think it's a little weird because he's so old. Like, I think he's supposed to come across as much younger than he actually is. Yeah, he you know? was. He was what like uh... my age. I think he was thirty nine at the yeah. time, which is like he's kind of stands. I. It doesn't help that most of the people he interacts with are clearly younger. You know, so it just makes it seem like man, he seems older. If he was interacting with other people his age, it might seem not I, seem I do weird. think one of the best parts, the best scenes in this movie is when he goes to like, I think it's called like Precinct 8 or whatever. It's yeah. like the cop theme gay bar. And he gets like five feet in and they're just like, get the fuck out of here, pig. Like they just like <laughs> knew right away like they had him like pegged. And it's like, yeah, because he's an older dude. Like, yeah. like what's up, fellow gays? How are we tonight? <laughs> How do you do, fellow yeah, gays? Yeah. Um, I actually, I don't think it was a cop scene bar. I was, I think it was a cop themed night. Oh, even better. Even yeah. better. But they, it is true. He gets like five feet in. They're like, no, not you. Yeah. Yep. No, 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 no. You need to leave. And there's nothing about him that gives away. <laughs> he just pings immediately. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think, uh, the things the movie succeeds at, there's a lot of tension in the film. I, I Someone might say, this isn't for them a horror film. I think the beginning of the movie is very much a horror film. I think as the tension ramps up, it starts to feel very much like a cop, more of a cop procedural in some ways. Yeah. But the ending problematizes that because all of a sudden it's like, is Pacino 
also a hunter of some kind. It, you know end, what I mean? The, the ending suddenly flips on its head that this character that we've been rooting for the whole time may have been a monster. Like you've been riding in a car with a fucking killer the whole time. And it's a stranger. It makes a character that you've become familiar with the whole movie. It suddenly makes them a stranger. And that's unsettling. Well, I think what the movie does very well, and I think this is intentional, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's intentional. Uh, You start to identify with him because you think he's being vulnerable. You think you're seeing a vulnerability because he's clearly not entirely comfortable with this role he's playing. Yeah. And he's trying to figure out who he is in this world. And he's trying to figure out how to interact with the people he's interact with. And that vulnerability starts to make you think you know this character. But as the movie ends, you realize, other than seeing him talk to other cops, uh, fuck his mostly non-existent girlfriend, who doesn't get to talk at all, very little at least, and have these awkward interactions... You see nothing else about him. You don't know anything his, about his him. family, how he interacts with people, who he was before he was this person. You don't see anything about who he is. Right. Uh, and I haven't read the book that the film is based on, but um, what I've heard is that we get a lot more about his character and his sure. background in the book. And apparently in the book, his character has a, has a history of homophobia as well as racism. And also mm. it's, it's much clearer in the book that he is... Uh, having a, a sort of conflict, an, an internal conflict about his sexuality. Interesting. See, I think I, th- I think that would have made a, you know, I'm with Liam in the sense that the true horror shouldn't be this guy is questioning his sexuality. The true horror is this guy might be a fucking killer. Yeah, which I think yeah. that comes through in the movie. Yeah. I, I think this is, I don't know. So did you guys read, did you all read anything on IMDb about this movie? No. So the thing that's on IMDb four separate times which makes me wonder if it's true or not, is that in preparation for this movie, um, Freakin' met with a guy who was in The Exorcist who had just killed his boyfriend. Oh, um, Paul Bateson? Is that his name? And apparently after, later on in his trial, uh, I think it was Bateson, I can't remember. Paul Bateson, yes. He suggests strongly in his trial for this murder that he might be the body bag killer. And so the idea that Freakin is doing a movie, uh, just for clarity's sake, who's the body bag killer? The one of the one of the murders that this movie is sort of gotcha. Based on. Yeah, he w- uh, they were responsible for a series of slayings in in Manhattan of gay men. Gotcha. Um, and so when the idea that Freakin, for research, talked to this person who later on might be the person that the movie's about is kind of a weird factoid. Yeah. But I don't know if it impacted his making of the film or not, but I do think the part that did impact it is maybe a feeling of he didn't know this person. Like, that maybe in talking to this person, this realization of, I don't fucking know you. I thought I knew you. Yeah. But it turns out I didn't know anything about you. That is what this movie seems to be about. Uh, One of the ways is the, I think, We've hinted at it, but Joe Spinell's performance. Mm-hmm. Joe Spinell in the car. First of all, part of what's haunting about Joe Spinell's performance is that we first meet him talking to him. I mean, he's with his partner, but he's clearly talking to himself about what he wants to do to this girl who's jilted him. Side note, 
Joe Spinell had just been broken up by a woman who moved to, to Florida. And the general assumption is that weird speech he's making, that's real. That's just him talking I about his own it. experience. Wouldn't it, It's Joe Spinell. It is what he was talking about. So we meet this guy. He seems like, uh, you know, at first, a bit of a misogynist, but maybe, a you bit. know, you know, maybe that's all that's going on. Then they abuse these poor, uh, uh, let's say, trans women. You yes. know, they, we don't know for sure, but that's who they seem to be presenting as, is trans women. And they basically assault these women, force them to it's, perform. It's worth, it's worth pointing out, and it's telling, that they approach these trans women uh, under the guise of, like, when they first approach them, you're thinking they're, they're going to bust them for... Right. Whatever. Sex right. work, I think, is Sex the implication. Yeah, that's the implication. And he presents it like, hey, ladies, what's going on here? And they're like, we're, you know, we're not doing anything. And then you're still like, okay, he's clearly being like a dickhead. But then when they get him in the car, it becomes more than just an abuse of power from a legal standpoint. It becomes like, oh, no, these two cops are actual fucking monsters. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 They're not just overstepping their authority they're clearly abusing you know this is yes this is literally a form of rape is to use your power to get sexual oh favors God, yeah. but even in that there's a certain thing then you think about joe spinell then you see him later just cruising in a club yeah, yeah. and you're like and then later in the park yeah, yeah yeah and cruising in the park and cruising in such a way where you're like now is joe spinell gonna try to murder him or you know what i mean like th- there's <laughs> is this... joe spinell supposed to be in this shot yeah it was just spinell just <laughs> at the, the bar he was just in the park <laughs> and they caught him and they're like oh joe are you in the scene he's like yes yeah, yeah i'm in this scene no 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 we're being mean to Joe Spinell. but the point is is that his character functions as a as a, a reinforcement of the idea that um we don't know these you don't know folks. There's hidden layers. Don't know anything. And so the the there's consistently this idea that uh, Al Pacino's character is keeping something hidden from his love interest. Uh, and it, as the movie goes on, it's like his role, what he's doing as an undercover cop, is probably the least of what he's keeping hidden from this woman because, you know, other than having breakfast with her and their sexual relationship, we don't really see them interacting at all. They, they don't really have conversations She's about She's weirdly comfortable with him being like just, yeah. He just shows up. He just shows up. And then he's like, yeah, we're, we're going to have to take a break for a little bit. And she's like, oh, okay. Like, it's, yes, like, uh, you know, it's fine. Just drink all the orange Well, juice, I, I actually, I think she's the one who suggests taking a break. And then that's says, true. Yeah. That's oh, yeah, true. my bad. Yeah. Because he's very absent. Yeah. You know, he's very sort of like in and out. And he drinks all the fucking orange juice out of the fucking container. That alone, I would have been like, we're done. <laughs> we're done here, dude. Canceled. <laughs> yeah, we are. You are canceled and we are done. Um, so there's this continuing theme, I think, throughout the film that is very effective about it's not a reality bending film, but it's very much a psychologically mindfucky film in that it's like, what is real? What can I trust? It keeps you guessing. Even this character who's set up for us as obviously the killer, which you know is problematized later, but you know, he's the killer. His persona as this person in a leather bar and his persona as, you know, in shape grad student, they're so different. Like when when he realizes who this guy is, I'm like yeah, I wouldn't have recognized him either. You know, it would have taken me a sec to be like, that's who that is. That's an interesting point that you raised because I think there's an aspect of this film that deals with performance. Yes. And that ties directly into that. But also Al, Al Pacino's character is performing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it can be argued that he he doesn't really start to be successful uh, 
with his assignment as a as a detective until he really starts embracing performing as a gay man. Yeah. Like when they do the drugs? Uh poppers, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um that's actually since you mentioned that, that's one of the sequences where the weird digital effects happen. There's this weird strobe effect that they add in when he is on the dance floor doing oh, doing poppers with that. uh that guy and it takes what is a, a sequence that could be mildly entertaining and turns it into like unintentional unintentionally comical. <laughs> what, um, what what are poppers? Amyl nitrate. You huff them and uh, you get this speedy high. Oh. It, it, uh, uh, I don't have any experience with them but it's supposed to make sex very intense. And oh. uh Say no more, <laughs> that's fine. I just, just I was I was going to say something off color. I mean, that would be more than welcome on this podcast. It loosens the bottle. Yeah. Oh, 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 okay. I I was first told about them purely for their butthole loosening uh, usefulness right. by a friend who was a big fan. And uh, only later did I find out they had other... I literally, for a long time, was like, oh, you just take them for your butt. And John? So, someone was like, someone was saying that they had done poppers, and I was like, so you're in the butt stuff? And they're like, you know they... People just take them to get high. It's not just for your booty. And I was like, no, yeah. I don't know. I'm a straight edge person. There's nothing I'm more naive about than drugs. You could tell me that cocaine makes your dick bigger. And I'd be like, well, oh, sounds okay. John sure. Waters claims to do poppers on roller coasters. Apparently, that's really fun. Yeah, they have other effects. But uh, yeah. originally, the person who first told me about the poppers that they were doing, it was for that specific reason, for the, the usefulness. Lessons, for... lessons in drugs with yeah. Liam. Right. Fun facts. Fun facts. Um, uh, again, I you know you could tell me that they do anything. I don't fucking know. So getting getting back to the sort of a discussion about Friedkin's influences and in making this film. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't. Do you guys know Evan Schlock Value on Twitter and oh, Letterbox? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, he's a uh, a great film writer and historian and and just about the most knowledgeable person you can talk to about the history of gay cinema. But uh, recently on Twitter, he posted an. Ec- an excerpt of an interview with uh, Francois Abo. I'm sure I mispronounced that name. He was a cinematographer on uh, Jacques Scandolari's New York City Inferno, which is a classic sure. uh, gay hardcore film um, about a man who travels from Paris to New York City to find his estranged boyfriend and learns he's sort of gotten sucked into the uh, gay S&M underground. Hmm. Um, and this film was apparently a, a big influence on Yann Gonzalez, when he made Knife Plus Art, which we can get into, but so just just tying into the next film, yeah. Um, but like that. uh, that's a good tie-in. In this interview, uh, the cinematographer talks about how he was introduced to William Friedkin on Fire Island by Jack DeVoe, who um, is like a, a gay film Why icon. Why was Friedkin on Fire Island? I don't know. <laughs> he just was looking for a good time, I guess. Um, Friedkin wasn't gay, was he? No. No, okay. no, no. But uh, he was also still alive. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the look you just gave me was like, "Oh right." <laughs> this this was a this was a few years before Cruising was made, um, but now they got to talking, and I I, I guess apparently years later, uh, Friedkin told him that New York City Inferno was a huge influence on huh. uh, the look and feel of Cruising, and I think that makes a lot of sense because I think Cruising is a very erotic film, and oh, there's yeah. there's just this raw sexual energy that is channeled throughout the film. I mean, let's be clear about that because I think this goes back a little bit to our representation idea. For a straight man, it'd be really easy to film the scenes in the clubs in a way like, oh, this is gross or funny. or 
I don't feel that. I mean, no. the only again, the fisting scene we brought up was the only scene where I start to go, this is a lot, actually. <laughs> this is a lot to be happening right now for this sort of film. But a lot of the other scenes, for me at least, you know, I'm not gay. I'm not, you know what I mean? It's not my thing. But the way they're filmed, I'm like, this is sexy. This well, is yeah. filmed in a and way that's And there's a lot of focus on the tactile on. and the physical. Yeah, 100%. I'll just, this is something I want to talk about. Um, scenes like this, and you and I, Adriana, kind of talk, talked about this at the flea market. Uh, I had made a dumb joke earlier about Bruce LaBruce's uh, L.A. Zombie, which is a hardcore pornographic film that is also a deeply unsettling horror movie. Like, it has legit... It's it's not like a spoof. It's like a horror movie that just happens to have hardcore gay sex in it. And I can watch something like that and be like, oh, that's cool. It's very erotic. It looks, seems like Wolf Hudson's having a good time. And, you know, that's that's cool. The only gay scenes I've ever watched that have made me uncomfortable was the scenes in Call Me By Your Name because that felt like it was something that I myself had no right to watch. It felt like I was intruding upon something. It seemed too intimate. It seemed too intimate. It seemed like I was witnessing something that should have belonged to these people and these people alone and I was... That's interesting. I was seeing... You know, but when you're watching this in the club, you're like, man, these guys are having a fucking great time. It's in public. Like, this is cool. Yeah, get it. But then when, when it becomes like more intimate moments is when it's like... I, this is this is not for me to see. This is and you know this is this is a moment that should be shared between them and them alone. And I have no right to be a voyeur in this. And this movie, hmm. that's in, that's very interesting because the voyeur aspect is a bit of a turn on for me. Whereas the publicness of these club scenes, it the part that makes me uncomfortable is that in something that public, I could never perform. Yeah, gay, straight. There's all these people around, and I'm supposed to sexually perform in this scenario with all these other sexy people around me no 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 that's too much for me yeah. like that for me like it's sexy to see the movie yeah yeah and it's filmed very centrally but that's not a turn on for me you're not an way. exhibitionist then fuck no <laughs> no jesus christ though no. people might see my hairy butt yeah I want that. Um, and there are some hairy butts in this there movie. are a and number um, of hairy butts justin if you if you like kind of arty horror porn you should watch peter Durham's the destroying angel yes i think you i think you. yeah yeah i think i did tell you about that but yeah check that out cool i can dig it i like arty arty gay porn and i like that you like that as a as a heterosexual man it's cool i mean it's it's just like i mean it's it's one thing where it's like it's not just like the horror it's like the fucking realness of it is like the it's it's it it's there is no better actor than someone who is fucking someone that they're not attracted to, for real. <laughs> that that is uh, and doing it on film, and in the case of Ellie Zombie, acting under numerous layers of makeup and fucking fake blood and all this shit. Yeah. Uh, not to get too off topic, but I mean, if you if you want to see this movie, it's Ellie Zombie. It's very good. It's about a it's about a person who crawls out of the ocean in Los Angeles, and then fucks their way across L.A. and it has a very sad ending. So if you don't like sad endings, <laughs> don't watch this movie because it's like weirdly heartbreaking. I guess we should wrap up on cruising. Yeah. I, I, here's the here's the problem with covering these two movies. I think both of these movies are the kind of movies where you could talk about them forever and mm-hmm. get into all kinds of new layers. And yeah, they, whatever, whatever. they weren't a full episode each. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I think uh, in the case of cruising, um, I think we've covered a lot here, which is that uh, the controversy of the film, the reason the film, I think, is actually worth reclaiming, and a lot of people have. It's not like hard business is on the vanguard of reclaiming cruising. <laughs> or the tip <laughs> of the fucking spear. <laughs> like. A lot of people have already done that. We're just you know, covering it on our show. Um, 
it's maybe not the traditional horror that some people like, but it's very much a very gripping thriller and elements of it are very much a horror movie. I mean, that first murder is not, you know, a classic thriller scene. That is a horror film scene. It's also, I mean, this might be ascribing too much, but it's William Friedkin. Right. He brings yeah. he brings something to the table that makes yes. this movie a horror movie. And I would suggest that the whole movie becomes more of a horror movie by the ending. And again, you know, I'm not trying to ruin that for anyone. I, I hopefully most people watching this have watched the film. But I think if you think of that ending as a way to read the rest of the movie, the whole movie is really, in a way, uh, a kind of horror movie in the sense of the. Is that the scene that. where Al Pacino looks directly into the camera and says, "Steven Spielberg directed Poltergeist," and then got the black? <laughs> yeah, that was very upsetting yeah, yeah, to me. It was. Yeah, it's weird that there was the post. He saw into the future. Yes, it was weird. There was the post credit scene of where he goes, "Don't trust." Don't trust John Landis. Yeah. That was weird. <laughs> Castrate him now. <laughs> oh, God. Get those kids away from there. Oh, God damn it. Uh, anyways, um, and I think the movie, as we've all said, is simply, even if you're only interested in this movie, is because you like gritty uh, 70s slash 80s, which is this is literally both, uh, New York. Uh, that alone is worth watching the fucking movie. Absolutely, that even on absolutely, yeah. But I 100%. also, but I also think the performance, the soundtrack, the way that it's shot, the soundtrack featuring the germs, yes, crazy. By yes. the way, uh, I think they actually wrote more songs that didn't make. They it into did. The movie. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. they wrote six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, w- they didn't all go in. You know, freaking like the germs. What are you gonna do? Yeah. What it's, do you What do you want from him? It's also, I believe Darby Crash was gay or bi. I'm not sure which one, but. I don't know, actually. Is the woman he's uh, hanging out with in Decline of Western Civilization when he's saying all the racist things, uh, (laughs) is that woman his girlfriend or just in the band? I can't remember. I I, I think it was Lorna Doom who was the bass player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's possible. I don't know. I don't... I know... No, like, I know that he was either gay or bi. I just can't remember which one. Oh, wow. I think he might have been bi because I thought the suggestion was that he also had a girlfriend, but I don't know. Well, you can also be gay and have a girlfriend. Oh, that's true. That is very true. You're right. <sighs> Liam. Yeah. Liam's talking in his sleep, but we know he's not woke. <sighs> <laughs> Look, all I can think about about Darby Crash is how uncomfortable I was as a child watching. I was so stoked to watch that movie. Yeah. And then he starts going on about uh, the dead uh, person of Mexican descent. But that's not the term he uses mm. at his house. And I was like, oh, what's going on? I like the germs. <laughs> This is what happens. Um, all that to say, Cruising is very good. And Great you movie. Watch it. it is. I'm assuming most people listening to this have watched it. If you haven't watched it, I don't think we've ruined the movie for you. It's no. an amazing ride. Um, I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Um, and I think it is a, a document to a scene that I'm sure still exists in some form, mm-hmm. but it certainly doesn't exist in the way that this movie depicts it. Absolutely I don't think not. No, this, this, this movie was three years out from the AIDS epidemic? No, it was like a year out. Yeah. I mean, literally, I'm sure anyone who caught this movie for whom the world had changed, you know what I mean? Like maybe you saw this on video or something. There has to be people for whom what is happening in this movie seems insane. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's my, you know, my boss and I were talking about this. He lived in Times Square around this time and he said, like, seeing this movie, it was, he was like, you'll, you'll never, that was a time when you could walk into a bar as a gay man and do the old, man, right here, me and you, and you just, that's what happened, you just went off. And he was like, 
AIDS stopped all that. Yeah. And a, a sobering thought is that I'm sure quite a few of the, the men who appear as extras in this films are no longer with I'd us. I'd say it's like statistically half of them at least. Which is horrible. I don't want to end this discussion yeah. on a really bummer note. Then we won't. We'll say... Cruising is great. It's amazing. In, in a sense, as upsetting and disturbing as this film is, because that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be an upsetting movie. It's also a bit of a beautiful testament to a thing that maybe doesn't exist in the same way right. anymore. Yeah. And that in of itself is worth watching. And then also, it's it's pretty cool. It's a badass film. Yeah. It, you know? So uh, let's take a break. We're going to come back and talk about uh, 2018-19's uh, mm. Knife and Heart. Yeah. We'll be right back. Knife plus heart. Plus heart. Laisse-moi venir chez toi. Anne, say tell me name. J'ai le cœur sac de toi. Vous savez quand on s'oublie avec l'autre, les autres, qu'on sait plus où on est, une forme d'amour en quelque sorte. a été poignardé, une mort particulièrement violente. Carl venait de tourner dans un de mes films. Quel genre de film exactement Oh, arrêtez votre charme. Faites pas coup des types, ils sont pas renseignés. T'es un super beau mec, tu sais. Vous faites quoi Je suis productrice de films érotiques. La seule chose, c'est que parfois on manque de filles, alors on fait ça entre mecs. Tu appelles moi demain matin Dès que tu vas chier, j'écoute. Je crois que je vais changer le titre du film. Le tueur au mot. Vous en dites quoi Tu me trompes ou tout ça te fait ni chaud ni froid ah Alors comme ça, vous n'avez aucune piste Vous attendez que tous mes acteurs crèvent pour vous mettre au boulot Personne ne veut tourner avec nous, ils sont tous terrifiés. Il y a bien un indice. Près des deux premiers cadavres, on a retrouvé des plumes du même oiseau. attentive à tes rêves. Ils sont là pour t'aider. C'est cet amour qui est trop pour moi. Ça me rend dingue, tu comprends And we are back. Let's talk about 2018's Knife Plus Heart. I don't have the original French title in front of me. Uh, written and directed by Jan Gonzalez. Uh, some people of note in it. Uh, Vanessa Paradise. This isn't how Vanessa you Vanessa Parody. Parody. That's not how you... Forgive my butchering of the French language. I'm not a Francophile. Nicholas Mori, Kate Moran, Jonathan Gannett, Felix Maritold, and Khalid Allah. I don't. I can't pronounce it. God. Uh, it's basically a movie. This is a film about Vanessa Parody, who she plays a director of gay porn in 1970s Paris, and she's going through a particularly rough breakup because her ex is an editor, works at the same company, and over the course of the movie, we come to realize that people in her cast and crew are being murdered, and she may have a connection to the killer. Now, both of you have very powerful feelings for this movie. Adriana, she hosted a screening of this. 
at uh, Frank Baker Warehouse a few months back. This was one of Liam's must-see movies of 2018. He called it at Brooklyn Heart Film Festival. I did not, unfortunately. I'm going to let you guys go first. Specifically, Adriana. Well, first of all, I also saw it at Brooklyn Heart ah! with Liam. I also hosted a screening of this film at Alamo Drafthouse Yonkers. God damn it. And at Frank Banco. Um, but yeah, I've been... I've been an evangelist for this film since I saw it at Brooklyn Horror Film Fest at, in October of 2018. Mm. Uh, and since then, I've kind of told everyone I know who is into horror films to see this movie as soon as possible. Yeah, I, I fell in love with it. Like, five minutes into the movie, I was totally on board. And I've, I've seen it a bunch of... I think I've seen it like four or five times. But uh, no, I'm, I'm really uh, excited to kind of dig into it with you guys. Cool. Anything to add, Liam? It's really good. It's very good. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it, so I don't want to just yeah yeah no just jump. We well, can just jump in now though. Yeah yeah, just fucking. We don't need a preamble. Best way out, straight through. I mean, so I'll say, um, uh, I feel like the film is very influenced by Jolly. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think that it's very stylish. I like the use of colors in it. I like the killer in the film it has a sort of. Uh, leather bound grossness in a way that it's it's he's uh he's got this mask that is not quite a gimp mask but it, it it's upsetting part of the way the mask is upsetting is the mouth area moves yeah it looks like the dumbest person from Mulholland Drive oh god <laughs> it I did really not does think about yeah. that uh it also you learn later uh this killer is very much motivated by trauma and loss and the mask uh, has a hair component that is recreating the hair of his uh, lost lover, which is very upsetting. Um, it, 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 it almost creates sort of a, a weird, um, like he's, he's enacting the spirit of, of this loss yes. by doing that. Yeah. Um, also, on the subject of his mask, there's a, a nameless character on the periphery of cruising mm-hmm. that has a very similar mask. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that is probably intentional. Um, uh, the movie very much uh, blurs the lines uh, in a supernatural way that Gialli often do. Mm-hmm. Gialli often have this weird dreamlike psychic thing going on that has nothing to do with the killer. Like, y- there's been multiple Gialli I've watched where I'm like, is there going to be like a weird ghost or possession thing going on here? <laughs> and it's just someone with a knife. Yeah. But there's something supernatural going on almost as a subtext to the film, you know? And uh, this is actually a major plot point that there's something supernatural going on in this film, but it's not the killer. The killer is, um, well, maybe I, the killer is supernatural because of the magic birds. I'm not sure. I, I was just going to say that I think, I mean, there there is... It's heavily implied there's some kind of psychic connection there's between the killer and yes. Anne, who is played by. I Vanessa would say Parody. that's. A, I would even say that's implied. That's a strong plot point. That is part of the movie. Okay. They are psychically attached. Done. I'll agree with that. What I'm not sure is to what extent is his survival because of the blind birds. I don't know. I well, feel isn't like there, that isn't is. that explicitly stated in the movie that the birds took care of him? But it's said at the end in a postscript that could be interpretive. Okay. Fair. I think it is very likely an actual part of the plot, but that is not stated in this. That's not stated in the same way that their psychic connection is just a part of the movie. I mean, she literally makes a movie based off of the tragedy of his life that 
you know what I mean? That could not be a coincidence, you know, that she's some way connected to him and, and, and sees what's oh, happened. right. Yeah. So um, all that to say, uh, the film also, in a very weird way, has a lot of humor in it. Yeah. Um, for a movie that is very emotional and very uh, uh, dark in some ways. It also has a lot of like really funny, fun moments that I think work very well in the film. It sort of offsets some of the other things. Yeah. And yeah. some of the most charming characters are also very funny. The and most al- charming character, Archie. Yeah, I love Archie. And also I think there there's a kind of a frivolity or a playfulness to a lot yes. of the pornographic films that this film is referencing. So I, yes. I think that is very much intentional and that Gonzalez was trying to evoke these films yeah. with Knife Was Heart. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, even the central point, again, I guess we should say, I should have already said this, that there's going to be spoilers in this film, in this discussion. Sorry, y'all. We kind of already spoiled it. I know. Uh, big time. The big reveal, there's, there's unavoidable humor in the big reveal that she has, unintentionally, mind you, taken the central tragedy of the killer's life and instead of having it be a uh, result in this murder, which is what actually happened, instead it's an orgy. And I think that I think that 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 is in the context of the film tragic because perhaps that is the final breaking point to turn what is uh, a victim into a killer. Um, the actual scene in the movie, you can't help but think it's kind of funny that 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 it's like, what are you doing? No, we must fuck. You know, like that's <laughs> that's it's played in the film for for a bit of yeah, a, a and it's of like a goofy. His, his, it's his father too, which is yeah, kind of like is, uh, that's a theme in movies, man. That's it what is. Um, so I I found this movie um, super compelling. Uh, a weird again, the fact that it's emotional. I care about these characters and I care what's happening to them, yeah. uh, and also very funny at the same time. Is that's not an easy thing to manage. Um, and I also think the violence of this movie, the part that makes it sort of a murderer, sort of jolly movie, is also intense and very well done. And, and also very it, stylized, like yeah. a lot of jolly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I'm going on and on. Adriana, uh, what did you think about this movie? Um, well, I think well one of the, the most interesting aspects of the film to me is the fact that it's set within the gay porn industry of, mm-hmm. of Paris in mm-hmm. the late 70s because... For a really long time, um, porn was one of the only cinematic spaces for queer people to express themselves, to tell their stories, and to see themselves reflected Mm -hmm. uh, back from the screen. And a lot of uh, mainstream narratives about gay cinema are sort of ahistorical in that they tend to gloss over gay porn or mm. ignore it entirely. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if you look at a lot of lists that rank, you know, the 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 best queer cinema or the 30 greatest gay films, you'd think that gay cinema started in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it doesn't go back past that. Mm. Or you might see something like Parting Glances or or Making sure. Love or something like that. Um but very rarely, very rarely, if ever, do these lists extend beyond that into the 70s and certainly not into the realm of pornography. Um, and I guess part of this is, I guess, you, you can chalk it up to ignorance or to a, a lack of 
familiarity with that content, but I also think there is a a puritanic puritanical element to it. Um, yeah. as sort of not wanting to acknowledge the ses- the sexual aspect of queer identity, mm-hmm. um, because to do that is to invite. Uh, I guess stigma or or criticism from the larger heterosexist mainstream society. Yeah. And uh, Nightbus Art embraces that that queer history mm-hmm. uh, and and really turns it into something beautiful and subversive. I mean, I, I one of the major characters is Mouth of Gold. <laughs> he's the fluffer. Uh, basically, he's the, fl- he's, he's the fluffer. And the fact that you would have such a charming, endearing, lovely character liked by everyone too, liked by everyone who is part, you know, a, as far as a part of the the cast of this movie, dealing with the simple reality that these are performers and staying hard is not easy. You know that that part of who they are, part of what a, you know a, the existence of the fluffer is, is how do we keep these gentlemen hard long enough to fuck? That could have just been a. That doesn't have to be a character. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a person and an embodied being in the film. But not only is it an embodied person in the film, it's just this lovely man who reminds us that these are people. I mean, his emotions for the first character who dies and his horror at her taking this murder and making it grist for her own creativity is like a moment of humanism in the film. And so. I just thought that in and of itself was such a uh, an empowering decision to be like, oh, here's this character who could just be a joke, not the goal. Could have been a throwaway it's funny. joke. Yeah. It's a funny yeah. joke. Also a really touching, important figure in the film. And then also a joke. I live with my mother. I don't have... Yeah. I don't get paid. Yeah. I don't get paid to do this. That's also a funny joke, but it's also part of us understanding who this character is. I don't know. I just, I just think there's something... That example is an example to me of... Uh, taking an industry that could be seen in a very negative moralistic way and being like, no, look at this. This is, you know, this is a real, this is a reality here. And, and the idea that this is part of her attempt, which might be a feeble attempt to reclaim her relationship is to inject again, her art with art to take this thing that could just be about making money. I need a fuck film to make money and being like, there's something I'm trying to do here that I think this character has done in the past is um, try to reach for something more with these yeah. movies. Well, it's know? like Burt Reynolds' character in Boogie Nights. Yes, very Who's much based so. on Jamie Gillis. Oh, okay. I did not know that. <laughs> uh, so just a few things I wanted to talk about with this movie. I do like that this movie showed pornography as art. Right. It... Which it isn't always. The point here is not to say that all pornography. No, no, is no. Art. But but most people when they th- when they think pornography in this day and age, they think like POV Gonzo porn, or they think of like Pornhub. But there exactly. is an incredible amount of creativity and inventiveness, uh, and a sense of adventure in golden age porn from like the seventies and even the early eighties. Yes, and especially gay porn. I do want to suggest there there are a few examples today of people trying to do art, sure, or at least be creative. Uh, my current favorite uh, thing that I see people post about from Pornhub uh, is the uh, listening boyfriend just after orgasm. So there's a whole genre that this guy does where it's like you're supposed to know that something really hot has just finished. And he's like, 
oh, that was really great. Like, I really liked pleasing you. Like, <laughs> can you tell me about your day? Like, what's going on <laughs> with you? And another word is like, uh, boyfriend makes you tea after incredible fuck. Like, it's I all the stuff you this. see. That's in, amazing. It's all the stuff you see in other porn, but it's just after that. And he's like, oh my gosh, I really need some chamomile tea. Like, do you need some tea? Let me make you some tea. And it's this POV of this guy like talking to you. It's like feminist Ryan Gosling, but the <laughs> porn version. Yeah. I think that's really funny, actually. You know, it's done in a way that's both satisfying and a sense of, of, of fun, you know? Yeah. Anyway, sorry about that. Go no, back no, no. to what you're talking about. Uh, no, it, it shows, it portrays porn as uh, valid art, you know, not just people fucking, but actual filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the films they show in this, especially the one that they make towards the end where it's the it's the the killer, it's his point of view and he's walking through and he sees two men kissing and he like does a thing. He interacts, he chokes him, I think the one guy like playfully chokes him and he walks further. Oh, you're talking about the, the uh, climax of homicidal. Yes, yes. And that leads me to my... Homicidal. So which, that's the actual title, yeah. Previously known as anal fury. Yes, yes. And in French, homo terror. Uh, That leads me to my my second point I liked about this this movie was that there were so many scenes where you didn't know if you were watching a movie within a movie or the actual movie. And I think that really simple, like, of course, all the weird coloring makes it feel dreamy and surreal and strange. And there's occasionally when they show flashbacks, all the flashbacks are in, in, in negative. So... The film util- utilizes like unorthodox coloring mechanisms to really drive home how weird this is. Like there are times when it feels almost like a like a comic book. A lot of the coloring, sure, it's very it's very weird and bright and vivid. Um, and then the final thing that really struck me about this movie was it's a very melancholy movie, mm-hmm. and this has been a phenomenon. This is something that, that that's hit with me before. Is like a lot of times my most intense romantic interactions Mm. uh, and situations I found myself in in the 36 years I've been on this planet, I can relate more to gay characters in movies. Um, The love scene in Mulholland Drive Mm -hmm. is such a fucking weirdly realistic moment. Um, The beach scene in Moonlight Mm. Like that's a very tender moment. That's like mm. it, that's like well, I can relate to that. Like I've never been given a hand job on a beach before, but I understand that 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 resonates with me. And then uh, you know, like we talked earlier about like call me by your name, like that last scene where uh, Elio is like just looking into the fireplace and being miserable. Like I've never had an older guy dump me, but I've been in that situation where it's very bittersweet and someone has just said mm. goodbye and you're just longing for that. And this movie, I now add to that category. Uh, Anne, our protagonist, she's going through this breakup with her with her girlfriend, and it's this just it's this sort of like I was watching this movie and it was like, as a straight man, I obviously can't relate to all of this, but I've been in love before and I've had my heart broken and I felt like a fucking lunatic mm. in the rain shouting into a phone booth, you know. Obviously, she ceases being a sympathetic character when she sexually assaults her ex girlfriend. But just that feeling of like longing and sadness, and then that fucking goddamn club scene where Louise is like dancing with that other woman is so equal parts powerfully erotic and just so sad because she's like looking down there, you know, and is like looking down from a balcony. She, she has to be feeling both um, incredible pain at seeing her lover move on, but also uh, incredibly turned on at what is a 
unbelievably sexual it's dance. Very erotic. And, and you know, there's there's this feeling of like, I'm sure, attraction and revulsion at the same time. Yes. So yeah, it's just it's it's a it's a neat idea. It's something like th- that I appreciate when there are characters who sexually I can't really relate to, but emotionally it it just fucking captures exactly you know the times I felt in my life. I do want to mention that assault scene. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because we we, we had a long conversation with a friend who found that to be that ruined the movie for them. No that, shit. That was just the end of it for them, that whatever. And I think the movie doesn't just imply clearly states that Anne is being affected by her relationship with this uh, hateful killer. Yeah. And that that scene, it's no its no coincidence that the killer is watching her right. as she interacts with her girlfriend I was gonna and make that assaults point. her girl- it's girlfriend. It's like, it's almost as, as if his close proximity to her yes. is causing her to act Interesting. Out I of think control. she's being corrupted by this relationship. It's already affected her. She made a fucking movie unintentionally that was literally uh, a recreation of a, this horrific thing that happened to the killer yeah, yeah and then in a loop it's it's also this i think idea of uh i don't want to say something lofty like eternal recurrence but uh that there is this fucking loop of she is affected by her relationship with him and creates this movie and then the movie is the thing that sends him over the fucking edge to become a killer like like this loop of their connection yeah. is ongoing. And it continues in her making a movie about his killing her actors and on and on. <laughs> right. You know, that there is this, within the context of this movie, this cycle of connection between her and him that is causing violence and then causes further violence because he is then murdered by an angry crowd at a screening of one of her movies. Like, that there's this continual connection between them. I think that's partly what's going on in this scene and then is mirrored in a way in the final credit sequence, which is uh, haunting and beautiful and weird and I don't even know what to make of the very end. Well, we can comment on that in a second. But um, also, just going back to our friend and their criticism of this film... Um, one of the points he made was that he just thought that the, this movie doesn't do enough to comment on right. um, how heinous her behavior is. But I actually disagree. I think the movie at at several points it 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 directly comments on how appalling her behavior is. So you have that conversation between her and Archibald, where he basically says, yes. "Well, of course Lois doesn't want to talk to you, considering what you did." Um, but also the letter she gets from Lois—that is so sad. Very unequivocal, unequivocally states that what she did was so wrong. It was a complete betrayal. It, it is the end of their relationship. So I, I, I don't really, un, I, I'm not really sure what else this movie was supposed to do. Well, and I think he felt like, well, then Lois just exists to die. And I'm like, first of all, she doesn't just exist to die. Yeah. I think she is a realized character with a real internal life. And her sacrifice is meant to be a continuation of the tragedy. And only is her, the tragedy of her dying for Anne is part of this continuing cycle in which Anne has taken from, I keep saying the killer. What is the killer's name? I keep forgetting his name. It's very something oh, that I wouldn't be able to get. Guy? Guy the Guy Fave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and then the name of the, of the, of his love is, uh, Heschel or Herschel or Heischel or Hashem or, I don't, I keep not getting it. Anyways, Isn't it Hiram? Here, is it Hiram? It's Heischem. 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 Hiram. 
He's Jewish. Yeah, it, it, it sounded Jewish to me. The point being is, is not that. The point is that she has taken from him too. Like that is part of the sort of weird tragedy. Uh, again, the knife in the heart of this movie is that he takes from her and she has taken from him. Yes. Yeah. Seeing his story made into a porn film <laughs> is enough to crush his obviously fragile mind so that he then takes from her and then there's this taking back and forth. And the tragedy that uh, 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 Lois, Lewis? Lo- Lois? Lois. Lois is not the first person to die because of Anne's art. Like as much as I think for our friend and maybe other viewers, it's a step too far that Lois dies in this way. Uh, it's not just Lois. Everyone involved in this film now has to die because Anne has done this thing. Yes. By the way, completely unintentionally, she didn't knowingly take from this man's, from this young boy's tragic experience. It's the, and, and, and in the end, I think that's partly what this film is about. This film is, in a sense, related to, I think, the tendency of um, not just gay films, gay art in general, but films that tell the story of queer people having to be tragically about death. Yeah. That that's partly what this film is also well, about. And also I think, I think the, the climactic scene in the movie theater kind of yeah. drives that home. Yeah. Because any other horror movie at the end of the film, you would have, you know, the heroic straight weed character would swoop in and rescue these these ancillary characters who are gay, but in 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 this film, uh, the the gay characters sort of they get to author their own destiny. Basically, they get to take right. control. They're the ones the the uh, the patrons of this porn theater watching Anne's films. They're the ones who kill kill the killer. Right. They get to stand up for themselves. Yeah. And yeah. say no. You know, this is not, this is not okay. This is not, they get to have their own agency. And in fact, even the guy who first goes at him is this like very strong sort of muscular. Yeah. Oh, you you like to hurt, you like to hurt, you know, gay people. But the the one who finally strikes the blow is this uh, very purposefully quiet, you know, sort of standoff who comes up and says, and, and, and does this final stab. In a way, almost could be Guy in a different scenario. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, it's this, I read it almost as saying the thing inside of you that um, that is sad and tragic and almost inclined to punish you for who you are, kill that. That is what's being killed. And, and yet the movie also wants to honor the, boy that Guy was. Yeah. So it's like, how do we destroy this self-punishing uh, tendency in a way? It, it was, for me, a very powerful moment. And I think the movie then, by ending with that final orgy scene, ends in like a, also, it is a celebration of sex. Like, this is a good thing that these people are are who they yeah. are, you know? So I don't know. I, I The only thing I, I've wondered at is the very, very end where you have the like, clicky music the the soundtrack starts to fuzz out oh and then it everything fades to black it gets like it dark just drops into and they darkness it, it becomes almost upsetting except for archibald and Anne have a moment of connection and the movie actually ends on them smiling at each other 
Like they're almost smiling at each other through the darkness. To me, that that represents the perseverance and community right. of queer people through the AIDS crisis. That's how I felt that it probably and was. I but that's probably what it was about. That the darkness represents the. It's the harbinger of AIDS. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, the movie's set in 1979. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's just on the cusp. Things are about to get real bad. <laughs> <laughs> FYI, we're in a very dark place. We're going into a very dark place. Yeah. <sighs> I thought this was a very good movie. I, I yes. actually, my first words were that was a fucking film. Yeah, man. Um, I think it's worth noting that uh, the character of Anne is actually based on a real gay pornographer named sure. Anne Marie Tensey. Yep. Who allegedly really did have this very uh, tumultuous affair with her female editor. Mm. Uh, um, her films are very hard to find. I haven't seen any, although what I've read about them seems sounds kind of wild. Oh yeah. Um, I would I would be very interested in seeing her film sometime. I don't know if this movie may spark interest in mm. digging them up and restoring them because I mm. I do know that uh, Jan Gonzalez. Uh, personally oversaw a restoration of this film called Equation to an Unknown, which is a, a 1980 French experimental hardcore gay film um, mm. that was a, a, apparently a very big influence on him when, when he was making Knife Plus Heart. So, oh, wow. I don't know. Uh, I would just like, I would like for there to be like this new wave of like radical queer porn because of this <laughs> movie. Probably not going to happen, but <laughs> I don't know. Um I mean, the, the the important thing, I think, to state here, too, is that um, I think this is true of uh, a little bit of cruising as well, but um, I don't want in our theoretical engagement with these movies to miss out on the super quality, very effective filmmaking that could be taken at a sort of base level as well. Like Knife Heart, Knife Plus Heart is also a very effective thriller. Yeah, uh, it I mean, works as a very powerful jolly yeah. without also understanding some of the other layers of things going on. I mean, if you think about that sequence with Anne following Lois into that club, yeah. there's a lot of cross-cutting going on where it cuts between the club sequence and uh, this character, Thierry, who is played by Felix Marteau, mm -hmm. who also stars in uh, Salvage and uh, BPM. Yep. Watch both of those movies. Uh, and he's he's a heroin addict, and he's, he scores some heroin, and he finds this... Uh, kind of hollowed out like abandoned car and he gets in and shoots up and as we're seeing this incredible club sequence yeah uh we also see him kind of nodding out and, and the killer uh strikes and it's just very effective yep editing it, it builds tension incredibly well and and, and it and the build-up pays off with like probably the best kill scene in the movie as far agree. as uh it's inventiveness and it's sort of like a, a, a visual gag, but it's, not in a corny way. What's weird is it's a visual gag, but it's one of the visual gags in the movie that in no way is funny. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. don't go, yeah. oh man, you go, oh God, you know? And again, I think visually suggests the visual language of the film suggests the connection between the killer and Anne. Like he has this intense kill that references almost like an orgasm at the very moment that Anne is probably bursting with jealousy, right. anger, hatred. These things coincide in such a way that I don't think it's meant to be coincidental. Like It could be a thematic connection, but I think the movie continues to suggest that there's a very direct connection between these two I uh, agree completely. characters. 
man, I fucking love this movie. I, th- I just think it's very well done. It manages to have all of these jolly slasher sort of themes, but also then have an emotional core that is very affecting and then also inclines me to think about these larger themes of storytelling and identity, um, which again is part of a community that I'm not part of. So I'm not going to prescribe for people what that means. There might be plenty of people for whom this is not uh, a worthwhile telling of, of something. But for me, it was very, very intense and powerful while also being overwhelmingly entertaining. Just like this cast. I want to see these characters do more things. Yeah. Even the, the characters who end up being, not necessarily essential. We meet this uh, group of uh, trans women who uh, work together as sex workers and are sort of like a family. They could have their own adventure adventure movie in that they each have <laughs> these distinct identities and personalities. Uh, and, all, and, and all the women in the lesbian bar. Yeah, I want to go to there. And I think it's very important to point out the thematic here. Part of my reading of the thematic of this movie being about this. Um, interpreting queerness and queer identity with this kind of death drive is partly from this lesbian bar where uh, a woman loves a bear and and is like, make love to me. And the bear keeps saying, if I love you, I will kill you. And then they sing a song about the more I love you, the more I hurt you. And the more uh, I love you, the more you hurt me. And our love is nothing but hurt and pain. And everyone just goes, ha ha, funny. And I'm like... (laughs) also very sad and bloody and maybe what this movie is about in a very sort of direct way. Also, we should make clear that, that that's part of like a, a show that they're yes. watching in the club. She isn't actually declaring oh, yes, love yes, for yes, a true, real true, true, bear. True. A guy in a bear. Yeah, it's a guy in a bear costume. Uh, a, a woman. Lady. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry. A woman in a bear costume and by bear, we don't mean large, heavy set gentleman. No, that's it, true. It, I yeah. mean, a literal yeah. bear. An actual who, who, bear. Who, by the way, just shoots blood out, out, of, claws, its claws, out of its claws in a way yeah. that's very great. Um, but but I think part of this theme, too, is this idea of the relationship between tragedy and queer identity in art and how we think of that. And, uh, and it's also... Uh, a very amusing little scene. It's, again, part of this movie is we're going to talk about very dark, bloody, intense things. We're also going to be funny and charming. And that's part of what this film is in a way that I think is very important. Yeah, I can. I agree to all that. Me too. Also, the soundtrack is very good. Oh, Done so good. by M83. M83. Yeah. This is not t- like directly related to Knife Plus Art, but I, sure. I kind of want to comment on it. But... Um, when I was thinking of movies that would pair well with Knife Plus Art, one that immediately came to mind, but that I didn't suggest for the show because it's not really a horror movie in any traditional sense, is this film called Kamikaze Hearts. Okay. Have either of you heard of it? No, okay. I have not. So it's like a docu-fiction, but not really. Like It's it's a film about a real-life lesbian uh, porn actors Sharon Mitchell and Tiger, and about their actual real life relationship, uh, and it, which was very turbulent, and they were they were both heavy drug users. Uh, mm. And this film, um, as the story goes, it it was kind of planned out to an extent or storyboarded, but it, it was supposedly not scripted. And as you're watching, it becomes very difficult to tell what is real and what is staged or Sure. Um, yeah, but it's it is incredibly fascinating and hmm. very difficult to watch. Hmm. Um, 
fascinating it's difficult to very, watch and, that's and, right up my alley yeah. <laughs> that's, that's your MO definitely right check it out and, and Sharon Mitchell's in like a lot of porn films um, I get, probably most notably Barbara Broadcast which was a Radley Metzger film mm. um, she also she has a cameo in Maniac oh, which of course sure. stars Joe Spinell just to tie everything <laughs> together Joe Spinell is at the heart of everything that is so true <laughs> <laughs> If only he had enough uh, body of work for me to have a Joe Spinell podcast. If only. But uh, yeah, I think Kamikaze Hearts used to be on Amazon Prime. I don't know if it still is. It's definitely on Pink Label TV, which mm. is a a subscription streaming service for like gay art films and porn, mm. which I don't know how many people listening would have an interest in that. You should all have an interest in that as far as I'm concerned. But uh, definitely check out that movie. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. This has been a very uh, recommendation-heavy harvest. It has, and I like that. Thank a lot. you, Adriana. You're welcome. I mean, I have like I could give you a whole list of films to watch. But. Well, and we probably should have you do that as a feature for Cinepunks anyway. But that will involve our continuing issue, which is: Will either Liam or Adriana ever actually write anything <laughs> for the website that they uh, edit and? Put I still owe Rob Scavarla an article, and I I don't know if you're listening, Robert. Like I'm very sorry. I have really really dropped the ball there's a lot going on i haven't even finished watching radioactive dreams let alone oh yeah you piece. you owe him a piece too i do i do just hmm. uh, hmm. just over here going why don't i owe rob a piece for uh neon slime neon slime that's the name of the that's slime. his website oh sorry rob recently launched and it's great yeah um but i guess done. My parting words for this podcast will be watch more gay shit. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with Co-signed. that. Co-signed. And, uh, Co-signed so I guess, hard. I guess, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, we, uh, let's be clear, the fact that uh, Adriana is on uh, during Pride Month is completely Adriana's motivation. We didn't actually think, hey, we should have someone on to talk about uh, various queer shit during Pride Month. Yes. We didn't, weren't that smart. We were literally like, oh, we should have Adriana on. And Adriana was like, you should have me on to talk about Knife Plus Heart, which, by the way, comes out in June. And then she probably knew it was Pride Month, but uh, <laughs> didn't fucking occur to I us. I can confirm that I did. Although, any time, any, any month of the year, I would want to do like yeah. some sort of queer film. I think it was uh, it was good that we we did this then, but we'll definitely have Adriana, Adriana well, on again. It also, so. I also wanted to do it in June because that's when Knife Plus Heart hits Shudder. So. Yes. Mm. Y'all should, by the it way, be, watch it. It would be available so people could watch it. Yeah, and that's, you know, I know we we did a lot of, this was a bit spoiler heavy, um, but I think it's still worth seeing the movie, and hopefully um, we didn't turn you off from seeing it. I don't it, think so. we did the movie justice, really. No, 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 yeah. no. It wasn't a, it wasn't a uh, oh, we told you everything worth, no. Well, no I don't no. think we downplayed its greatness, but definitely, no, no. It, it's a film that you need to see to appreciate yes. fully. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, uh, our descriptions of some of the more surreal beautiful cinematography was woefully short plus we didn't even directly uh reference the the primary weapon the killer uses so which is a that dildo with a knife dildo in it. blade i was gonna not say it so it'd be a surprise i, I don't everyone. think it's a surprise because that was like one of the oh, most highlighted trailer. aspects yeah, yeah, of the yeah, film yeah. and all of the press and everything um i do want to say uh for those of you who have seen Ken Russell's Crimes of Passion, yeah. that element of it may seem very familiar to you. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'm um, glad you brought that up. I totally forgot about that. Um, okay. Well, hey, we should probably wrap up. I think we're done. Yeah. Uh, mostly because I'm only saying that 
uh, because I have to turn something in for this class before midnight, and it's 11.30, so I should probably wrap this up. Uh, That being said, thank you, Adriana, for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for suggesting uh, these movies. We we definitely knew we wanted to cover Knife Plus Heart at some point, but I don't think Cruising was on our list. No, I I suggested it as a joke, and then we were like, Oh no, no, that would actually work. Let's just <laughs> fucking roll with that. Yeah, let's do that. Actually, yeah. Um, uh, if you are uh, interested in uh, keeping up with Adriana on the internet, I uh, primarily want to recommend our other podcast, The Flight Stuff, which covers Alpha, uh, Alpha Flight. Um, but Canadian uh, X Men, nothing more. Don't. That is not correct. Don't you? Nothing more. I, am I bes- am I besmirching the good name of Puck? Puck rules. You see so. this motherfucker over here? Shit talking our, our good work on the flight stuff and uh, Alpha Flight. Um, the flight stuff recognized by the Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, that's true. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we can talk we, about that. We were after. mentioned. We were mentioned on Hollywood Reporter. Interesting. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, anyways, uh, also if people want to follow you on Twitter, Adriana, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, my Twitter handle is e a d x b b, which is a an alternate guitar tuning used by Ricky Wilson of the B fifty twos, gay icon. <laughs> I love uh, that. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, people should probably follow our social media, huh? Yeah. Uh, the Harbiz666 on both Twitter and Instagram. And we can be contacted on either of those things. You can shoot me a message. Uh, or if you want to email us at theharbiz at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, by the way. And fucking download that shit. And check out all the other podcasts on the network. There's a yeah. lot of good ones. You can go to cinepunks.com if you want a complete roster of all of our podcasts and our very fun articles. Yeah. And a new podcast just launched called uh, Evil Eye, covering specifically goth films, mm. uh, brought to you by Sam Deegan of Diabolique Magazine and Rob Scavarla of General Philadelphia fame uh, <laughs> and well-known goth boy. Noted goth boy. Noted. And recently launched Neon Slime. Please yeah. check yeah, it out. True, true, true. So true, true, go true. check out uh, Sam Deegan, our friend, and uh, and Peter Murphy Jr. You know, Peter Murphy Jr. is good. I like yeah. that. Um, uh, the first episode, they're covering a movie called Goth. Uh, I think it's worth noting that they promise more quality films in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, I kind of feel bad because a lot of people when I posted about it were like, I fucking love that movie. And I was like, ooh, you might not want to listen to the Damn. episode then because <laughs> I don't think they love that movie. Um, anyways, hey, thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. And Thanks uh, for coming on, Adriana. Uh, thanks for having me. I think I said that three times now, but I'm, I'm genuinely grateful that you uh, invited me on this podcast to, to talk about these movies specifically. I'm just glad you came on. It's I'm so happy that you're on. finally on the show, yeah. too. It's also nice to have someone in person. Yes. Oh, yeah. I think this is better than on the Skype. I agree. So we're going to head out. Thank you for listening. And as always, remember, Max Landis is a piece of shit. <laughs> is that going to be your sign-off for now? On? I have one of them. I don't know. I got lots of them. Yeah. All okay. right. Peace. Bye.